Awesome. Well, uh, good morning, River City. Uh, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Grateful to get to join you for worship together this morning. If you are new or visiting, especially want to say welcome. Glad that you joined us for worship. We'd love to get to know you. Love to help you get plugged into the community here at River City. Like Aaron was saying, one of the best ways to do that is to get involved in a small group. And so we'd love to have you join us. Um, uh, those are just a great way to build relationships and meet people and find out what the church is really all about. And so we just want to invite you into that, invite you into relationships, invite you into community, and love to get to know you, help you get plugged in. Uh, excited as well, we're going to kind of wrap up our series this morning where we've been for the first couple of months of the year. The series we've been in, it's all about identity. We've been taking a look at what the Bible has to say about who we are and what our purpose is and where we get our sense of value and worth and significance. And, and my hope and prayer throughout our series has been that in the midst of a season of, of time and a season in our year where oftentimes I think people are consumed with trying to rediscover or reinvent themselves, uh, my heart is that uh, you might be see the invitation of the identity and purpose that God offers you in the person and the work of Jesus as a chance to rest in that, and that you might instead of instead of endlessly trying to reinvent yourself or to manufacture an identity for yourself, you might rest in the one that God offers you in Jesus. Which hopefully, what you've seen throughout our series that it's. It's just exponentially better than any identity we can manufacture for ourselves. We don't have uh, time to do the deep dive on every aspect of that this morning. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to online to uh, some of those things. But at the heart of our identity is that God calls us his image-bearing people, that he calls us to be a people who might reflect his character and nature to the world with our lives and with our actions, that he forgives us of our sins so that we might be able to live out that identity. He befriends us so that we're not just employees of his, but we're his dear friends. He adopts us into his family as his children, so he's not our boss, but he becomes our father, and, and that he doesn't just make us lone rangers, but he includes us as indispensable parts of his body that roots out the lies that we often lead us towards self-pity or self-righteousness, and instead it fills us with a, a longing that we might be a part of the community of believers that make much of him, and and so there's so many of these parts of our identity in Christ. Hopefully it's been good news for your heart as we've walked through God's word the last number of weeks. And so many of those aspects of our identity are ones that we really resonate, that we long for. It's good news to us that God sees us in this way, that he tells us who we are in that way. But last week we got to an aspect of our identity in Christ that maybe we're a little less eager to embrace. We saw in John 13 Jesus demonstrating for us, him embodying the identity he gives us as, as servants by washing the disciples' feet. And we saw last week how, if we're honest, it's, it's an aspect we're a lot less eager to embrace. Uh, serving is a good thing to do, but being a servant, that, that feels a little bit different. And we saw how it's only when, you're, when you go from, you'll, you'll only be able to go from dutifully choosing the life of a servant to gladly embracing and embodying the attitude and the identity of a servant when you see that Jesus first did it for you. When you see that the great king and creator of the universe made himself nothing, humbled himself, embraced the lowly identity of a servant in order to serve you, what will happen is that you won't see the identity he calls you to, he gives you as a servant. as one that's just a menial obligation, but instead, as he points out to disciples, it's the way to really life and joy. 
You see, in that servant aspect of our identity, it's not the only part of our identity in Christ that I think we're sometimes hesitant to embrace. The other one we're going to kind of close our series with this morning as we think about our identity in Christ that I think we're often a little bit more hesitant to embrace is our identity as his ambassadors, as his representatives. You see, God hasn't just befriended us and, and brought us into his family and his kingdom for our own benefit. Instead, what we see throughout Scripture is that as God's citizens of God's eternal kingdom, yet as people who live in the midst of the temporal kingdoms of this world, God commissions us as his ambassadors who with our words and through our lives are sent to proclaim and to demonstrate the message of the king and the good news of his kingdom so that others might receive it as well. And the reality is I think there's all kinds of reasons why we're hesitant to embrace that aspect of our identity in Christ, whether it's fear of what people think or feelings of inadequacy or whatever it have. But what I want to show you this morning as we study God's word together is not just the reality of our identity as Christ's ambassadors through faith in him, but what I want to show you is that, is that when his ministry of reconciliation is good news to your heart, you won't actually be able to help from living and proclaiming him as being an ambassador for him. And so can't wait to show you that this morning. Uh, with all that in mind, let me pray. We'll dive into our passage and go from there this morning. God, thanks for our time in your word. Thanks for the ways that uh, you keep it for us. And thanks for the ways that you long for us, that we might know who we are and who you are in it. And so God, as we study this morning, as we wrap up our series on identity, God, we just humbly ask that you would be gracious to help the good news of your reconciling work towards us to be good news to our hearts that enables us to go from dutifully choosing a life of living as your ambassador or feeling like it's an obligation to instead being a people who love to demonstrate and declare who you are, King Jesus. And and the goodness of your kingdom. And so we need you for all of that. We need you to be the one that changes our hearts and causes your word and our identity to be good news to us. I don't have any power to do that, but you do. And so, God, we ask that you would, uh, God, for our good, but ultimately for your glory as we might live as your kingdom people in our world, we pray. Amen. All right, well, this morning, as we kind of wrap up our series, we're going to be in mostly in a passage in 2 Corinthians. We're also going to take a little detour into 1 Peter a little bit ways through, but we're going to begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul here, writing to the church in Corinth, he writes to them this way. He says, For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and, and he died for all, that those who would live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, he says, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old's gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A lot going on in our passage this morning. My So much good stuff here. I can't wait to show you. But 
What I want you to see at the beginning here is that the, at the heart of Paul's words here in 2 Corinthians 5 is this, this reality that, that in Christ we're made entirely new people. He says in verse 17 that if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old's gone, the new is here. And that's the idea that we've been talking about throughout our whole series on identity, that through faith in the person and the work of Jesus, that, that God not only gives us a new identity and purpose, but that he actually, he actually empowers us to be the people he says that we are and to live as the people that he makes us to be. And what Paul says is that all that is possible, that new identity and purpose and the power to live it out, all of that is possible because in Christ what God was doing is reconciling the world back to himself, reconciling us back to himself. And you see, that, that message is, the, is at the very heart of the storyline of, of Scripture as a whole. You see, as the creator of the universe, God is the true and rightful king of all. And from the beginning, what we see is that God makes humanity for relationship with him. But instead of uh, relating to God rightly and submitting to him as king and creator, what happens is we, each one of us, we reject God's good rule and authority. We want to be the ones who are in charge. We want to be the ones who decide what is true and right and good. And so we live as though we are God. And that's what sin really is. You see, oftentimes I think we describe sin merely as bad behavior, but the way that scripture describes sin is that sin is really ultimately, it's mutinous rebellion. That we reject God's good rule and authority. We enthrone ourselves as king. And in our spiritual community, it leads to all kinds of behavior that's out of line with God's word and his will. But more importantly, what we see what happens is that our sin actually makes us enemies of God. Enemies who are in need of reconciliation. See, and what you see throughout the whole Old Testament, the, one of the major themes, one of the major storylines is that people cannot reconcile themselves with God. That on our own, we cannot reconcile ourselves with God. You, you see, you can't apologize for your mutiny. You can't stage a coup and then take it back. Wow, that really didn't work quite out how, how I was hoping it would. No, instead what we see is that we are in need of reconciliation by a God who's the only one who can do it. You see, and while we can't reconcile ourselves with God, the good news of the gospel is that in the person and the work of Jesus, God makes it possible for us to be reconciled to him. He lives the life that we're supposed to live, and he dies the death that our mutinous rebellion deserves in our place, and so that when by faith we put our trust in him, what happens is that God credits us. He substitutes Jesus' perfectly lived life, and his death died in our place, and he credits us with Jesus' status and standing, and so we receive the very righteousness of God we receive the right standing with God that Jesus himself has. That's what Paul's talking about in verse 21 at the end of the passage there. And ultimately what that means is that through faith, what happens is we, through faith in Christ, we go from being God's enemies to being like what we've talked about throughout our series, his, his forgiven friends, his beloved children, his very people. We're no longer foreign adversaries. But instead, we become citizens of God's kingdom, his beloved people, cherished, owned, loved, known. It's this incredible transformation that we see that, that happens through faith in the person and the work of Jesus. And what Paul is saying in our passage this morning is that the identity we have through Jesus, it doesn't end there. It doesn't stop there because we're not just recipients of God's reconciling grace. What Paul says is that we are now representatives of it. So that God hasn't just reconciled us to himself and given us a new purpose and identity. That In verse 9 it says he's committed to us the very message and the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says it this way, therefore we are Christ's ambassadors. 
ambassadors. That, that language of ambassador there, it's a, an ambassador is a, an official envoy, right? It's a, someone who's sent to represent a king or a country. They're sent by that king or country to speak and to act and to live on behalf of, of them as their representatives and to communicate and to convey not just the message of the king or the values of the country, but the very heart of the king himself. Paul says that's the, that is the very identity and calling, he says, of anyone who is in Christ. As recipients of God's reconciling grace, God commissions us as ambassadors of it, sent to proclaim and to declare the good news about who Jesus is and all he's done to make known his offer of reconciliation. And so the question as we think this morning about our identity as ambassadors is not whether or not we are representatives, ambassadors for Christ, It's whether or not we're good ones or not. See, each and every one of us, everyone who has put their faith in the person and the work of Jesus, all of us receive the identity as Christ's ambassadors. I think there's a a few things that we can learn in this passage as well as a few others about what characterizes a good ambassador. Again, because the question that we need to ask is not whether or not we are, but what makes a good one and what does it look like for us to live as, as ambassadors for Christ. And the first, I think, is simply this, is that a good ambassador knows the king or the country that they represent. Good ambassador knows the king or the country represent, not just facts about it, not facts about that person or that place, but the very heart and the values of the king and the country. Similarly, if we want to represent Jesus well as his ambassadors, you have to know him. And again, not just about him, but you have to know his heart and his priorities, what matters to him. And that's what Paul's saying that that he does. Verse 16, he says he used to regard Christ from a worldly perspective, but no longer. See, Paul knows who Jesus really is. He sees him rightly for who he is. He says in verse 15 that Jesus God himself, the one who died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. See, Paul understands he knows who Jesus really is, but more than just about him, see, Paul knows his heart. He knows the longings for Christ has for us. He knows his priorities. He knows what really matters to him. You need to know this, church. The best thing you have to offer anyone else is your own relationship with the king. Best thing you have to offer anyone else is your own relationship with the king. And if you don't know him, if you aren't close to him, if you aren't ongoingly pursuing him and his heart and his ways, then you just don't have anything to offer anyone. And so a good ambassador begins by knowing the king. But secondly, you don't just know the king that you represent. We see that a good ambassador knows the people that the king has sent you to. A good ambassador knows the people that the king has sent you to. You see, oftentimes I think so many Christians, we live like ambassadors who never leave the embassy. They don't know the people they've been sent to. They don't know the culture that they're in. They don't know the longings of people's hearts or how the gospel might actually be good news to the people that God has sent them to. See, in order to be able to be a good ambassador, you have to actually know the people God sent you to. And so I just want to encourage you. Ask the question, do you know your neighbors? Do you know your coworkers? Do you know the people God has put in your lives that don't know Jesus yet? And not just about them, not just where they work or what job they do or how many kids they have, but do you really know them? Do you know what they care about? Do you know what matters to them? Do you know what their dreams are and their fears are? Do you know what drives them, what they think really matters? 
See, one of the single best things that you can do to grow as an ambassador for Christ is to learn to be a great listener and a good question asker. One of the single best things you can do, learn to be a great listener and a good question asker. So many Christians, I think, think that living as an ambassador is fundamentally all about knowing the right things to say. But the reality is, and don't get me wrong, that knowing how to communicate the truths about who Jesus is and the good news of the gospel, that's important. But here's the reality is that if you are not first characterized by being someone who is a good listener and a good question asker, you're not even going to get the opportunities to talk about Jesus. Besides the fact that even if you do, you won't know how to contextualize why it is that Jesus is good news. I remember when I was just getting, first getting to know my friend Tim, I had a lot of conversations with my friend Tim where I did a whole lot of listening and a whole lot of question asking and not a lot of talking. I tried to find out from my friend, what what matters to you? What are the things that make him tick? What are the priorities and goals? And what are the things that, that, that drive what he does and how he lives and what matters to him? Because And what I found is that, that all those conversations and all that listening and not a lot of talking, when my friend started to ask me what I thought about stuff, it not only opened the doors for those conversations, but it actually made it possible for me to know how the person and the work of Jesus might be good news to my friend friend. You see, Tim is looking for life and fulfillment everywhere but Jesus. He has looked down every road I can think of for joy and satisfaction and fulfillment, and he just keeps endlessly turning over rocks to see if he might find it under a new one. You see, and if I tried to start having a conversation about the gospel with my friend Tim by saying, Tim, Jesus can forgive your sins. That is totally meaningless and pointless to him because not only does Tim not believe there is a God, what context does he have for needing forgiveness from a God he doesn't even believe in? Instead, when Tim started to ask me about my own faith and and the opportunities I had to start talking about Jesus, I was able to communicate from the beginning, Tim, what you are looking for in all the areas of your life that you are seeking satisfaction, fulfillment, and pleasure, and distraction, and all that it might be, what you're looking for can only be found in Jesus. Jesus says that he came that you might have life, have it to the full. He's the thing you're after, Tim. He's the thing you're longing for that you can't find in all the other stuff. You see, and my friend Tim is absolutely not a Christian yet. But conversations like that let me open the door to all kinds more invitations to conversations with him about Jesus. You see, and knowing my friend, being characterized by learning to listen and ask good questions to see what really is driving him and what what really is the thing that's behind his heart and his actions. That's the thing that allows you to be able to communicate. What is it about Jesus that's good news? So a good ambassador, they need to know the king who sent them and they need to know the people they've been sent to. But lastly and thirdly, I think that a good ambassador speaks and lives in such a way that the people they've been sent to might come to know and have a right relationship with the king that sent them. The people, they they live and speak in such a way that the people they've been sent to might know and relate rightly to the king who sent them. First Peter, 
He's writing in chapter two. You've been, maybe you just read this passage if you have been joining us in small groups. We've been working our way through the book of First Peter. But he writes to this group of people who feel as though they are living in the midst of a world that is not their home, even though they're from the very places that they are currently living in. They feel as though they are exiles. And Peter writes to them this way. He says in chapter two, verse nine, he says, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. For once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you hadn't received mercy, now you have received mercy. He says, dear friends, then I urge you to live as foreigners and exiles and to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He says, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he visits. See, what Peter is saying is that in the midst of a people who are to see themselves as exiles in the world they live in because they're truly citizens of God's kingdom, that their, their life as ambassadors has to be characterized by both a declaration of the king and his message, but also a demonstration of the kingdom and the ways of it. You have to be able to live a life that proclaims the king, but also demonstrates what his kingdom is really like. You see, far too often, I think what happens is that, is that Christians try to embrace one or the other. There are many, I think, Christians who try to tell people about God, but they never demonstrate him to the world. They kind of go door to door a couple times a year trying to hand out tracts or go on missions trips, try to tell people about Jesus. They post things on social media all the time, but but they aren't actually involved in the lives of people that don't know Jesus yet. And often they think that that's actually a bad idea, that they'll be contaminated by sin if they do it. And what happens is so often is that that kind of a life just ends up confusing people or worse, alienating the very people that God is wanting to, to, to grow close to and to reconcile to himself because what happens if you tell people about a loving God but you never show that to him or if you tell people about how good living the kingdom is but you never show them that you, they never experience the kingdom what happens is, is you just end up confusing people you see declaration of the king and his message without a demonstration of his kingdom, is at best confusing, and at worst, it's just hypocrisy that offends and alienates those who need Jesus most. You see, but others, I think, often take the flip side, the, the flip approach, right? I'm just going to demonstrate the, the ways of the kingdom. I'm not really going to talk about it, but I, I want to demonstrate it, and people will see that I live differently, and, and that's, that's how I will... That's how I'll tell people about Jesus. These are the kind of people oftentimes who really try very hard to live a good and moral life, who are very intentional about the things that they do and the things that they say. And they often love to quote that Francis of Assisi quote that says, preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. Spoiler alert, he definitely didn't say that, and his life absolutely proves he did not believe that. Because that dude talked about Jesus all the time. You see, people need to hear why you are doing the things you're doing. They need to hear your motivations and your intentions. You see, the same actions have all different kinds of different meanings when the motivations are different. You see, demonstration without declaration, demonstration of the kingdom without a declaration of the king, it's, it's just religious moralism. 
At best, it's good deeds that make you and others feel good. But at worst, what happens is what it accidentally communicates is that what matters most is the outside, not the heart. And that's more deadly than anything else. See, instead, what we're called to live as ambassadors are people who both declare the message of the king and his offer of reconciliation, but who also demonstrate the transforming power of his kingdom in our lives so that people might see it and experience it. And you, you cannot separate the two. Often, so often, it's so important that we don't separate them because so often what happens is that it's our demonstration of the kingdom of the kingdom that opens the doors to be able to declare who he is and all that he's done. I remember vividly sitting in the room with one of my friends in college who I'd been praying and asking that God might give me a chance to share my faith with. And and after, shockingly, I had gotten that opportunity to talk about Jesus and how he had been changing me and how he had been transforming my own heart and life and how he was good news to me. My my friend, after just this great conversation, he said to me, "The, the reason I felt like I could have this conversation with you is because the what I noticed is that the what you say and the way that you live matched. So here's the reality. People aren't dumb. They see what matters to you. They notice how you live. They notice your priorities that you have. They notice the things that your life proves really matter to you. And they can tell if what you say matters and the way you live shows if that really matters to you or not. You see, this whole section in 1 Corinthians that we were reading here, where Paul's talking about it, our calling as ambassadors of Christ, the reason he's writing that is because he is defending a life that cannot be explained other than by responding to the person and the work of Jesus. You see, the way Paul lived stood in utter contrast to everything that the Corinthian culture valued and prioritized. In Corinth, everything was about rising the ladders of economic status and social status and being seen by others as impressive and influential and important and praiseworthy. And while everyone in Corinth is trying their best to climb the ladders, Paul is quickly as he can descending them, following Jesus himself, making himself nothing. And what happens is that there's people in the church who are saying, Paul, you are crazy. Like, you, nothing about your life makes any sense. He is, he's got to just be insane. And what Paul is saying is that my life only makes sense if what I'm doing is responding to the person and the work of Jesus. You see, so often I think our lives are, they just don't look that different than the world around us. And the invitation is that we might declare the kingdom and demonstrate it in such a way that the king in this kingdom is good news to others. We need them both. But also, and lastly, I'll just say this. You can't demonstrate the kingdom from a distance. You can't demonstrate the kingdom from a distance. I think so often, like I said before, Christians, we live as ambassadors who never leave the embassy or ambassadors who only invite others to come to the embassy, right? Peter, he writes to the these believers living in the midst of the world, in verse 12, right, he said, live such good lives among the pagans. You see, as good ambassadors, we need to be a people who who live our lives in relationships with people that don't know Jesus. I'll just be honest with you. In our city, that is especially challenging to do. 
We live in a city that is full of people who have very few felt needs and who often have many kinds of generational relationships. Most of my neighbors have two or three generations of family that live in our city. They have lots of relational connections and very few felt needs for new relationships. And so intentionally pursuing a life as an ambassador for the king and his kingdom in my neighborhood and in our city often looks like a incredible amount of deliberate intentionality in putting ourselves into the lives of the people that God has sent us to, whether that's your neighbors or your coworkers or or the people that you live and work and play with, wherever it might be. It will take time and intentionality. I'm just so grateful for how encouraging it is. I often hear stories from many of you about the ways that God is, the ways that you are intentionally living in that kind of way. Hannah and I just had the opportunity last night to uh, babysit for a family because they were, had the chance to go out with some friends and to have some conversations for a birthday party. You see, being intentional in the lives of our neighbors and coworkers, I see so many of you doing that pursuing that, prioritizing that, being intentional about it. It's so encouraging to me. Because so often what happens is is that we forget that the way people come to faith in our world today is not just by hearing about faith and hearing about Jesus, but by being included into the life of a community that reveals him. So we need to be a people who live in relationships and who demonstrate the kingdom up close, not from a distance. And I'm so encouraged, like I said, by all the many ways that I see so many of you guys living as ambassadors for the king and his kingdom. But I think it's pretty safe to assume that all of us have room to grow. All of us have areas in our lives where we don't always choose that life and often moments where we choose not to embrace our identity as ambassadors for Jesus. And and so the question I think we need to ask is just simply, what, what keeps us from that? What keeps us from living out the identity and calling he gives us as his ambassadors? And I think there's a lot, of, a lot of ways to answer that question, right? Jesus himself, he says, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Why is that? And like I said, I think there's a bunch of different reasons, but a few of the big ones, I think, and I think it starts out with so often many of us have either dismissed or missed our calling altogether. I don't know about you, I spent a lot of years fighting the identity Jesus gives us as his ambassadors. And a lot of times thinking that evangelism or sharing my faith or just being intentional with people that didn't know Jesus yet, that that was super great for anyone else to do. And that it wasn't my calling and it wasn't my gifting and it wasn't my role to play and it, I just, it wasn't my passion, it wasn't my thing, it was someone else's thing. And the truth is, is that what we see in, in our passage this morning throughout scripture is that being a part of the mission of making disciples and living as an ambassador for Jesus is, is doesn't really have anything to do with your skills or your sense of calling. The reality, Paul says, is that all of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation You see, if you are a recipient of God's reconciling grace, then you are a representative of it. There are zero people that God has reconciled to himself so that they might have only a personal and inward relationship with him. That's not how it works. You see, so often I think what's behind the, the way that we miss or dismiss our calling as God's ambassadors is just fear. I know for me that often what it has been and sometimes still is, sometimes it's a fear of inadequacy, right? We just say like, I just don't know what to say or I don't know how to do it. I'm not a pastor. I don't really have the credentials. I'm just going to mess it up, right? And, 
And I think to just combat that, just look at the first ambassadors that Jesus called for him, all right? The 12 disciples are like a group of unqualified pastoral rejects. I mean, like those guys were not, those were not team A in the ancient world of spiritual like leadership. They were not team B, right? They, they were probably not even team C, right? We're on like D, F, like the, the, deep, the deep recruit squad, right? They were not qualified. They were full of doubt and fear. They talked when they shouldn't and didn't talk when they should. You had the equivalent of a corrupt IRS agent, a political zealot, and a bunch of fishers, like a bunch of fishermen. That's what that group was made up of. And the reality is that Jesus loves to use unqualified and inadequate people. He loves to do that because then he gets all the credit for being a part of the transforming work that he does in people's lives that you and I have no business being a part of. That is good news. And it's good to get training. Jesus trained the disciples, but if you think that training is what makes you ready to live as an ambassador, you will never do it. It's the Spirit of God that makes you ready. The Spirit of God is really good at shining a light on Jesus. That's what he, that's what he does best. And if you are a Christian, then you have the Spirit of God. I'll just say this. If you don't know where to begin, just start with your own story. Just start talking about how Jesus has been good news to you and how he is at work changing your own heart and your own life. Begin there. Oftentimes, like I said, we have a fear of inadequacy. Sometimes, though, the fear that we have is not a fear of inadequacy, but it's a fear of failure. That we, we think that if we might take a risk in talking with our friends or our neighbors or our coworkers about who Jesus is and how he's transforming us, then what will happen is that if they don't respond rightly, then we've failed. And you just need to remind you this morning that the harvest is not yours. The harvest is the king's. He's responsible for what comes out of his fields. Our role is simply to be workers in it, to be a part of what he is doing. The king's responsible for the harvest. It's his. And that frees you up. Because it enables you to be a representative of the king, but not to have the weight of the harvest on you. It's a weight you can't bear. Even if you wanted to, it's one you can't. And so it's good news that he is the one who, who is in charge of the harvest. So we have a fear of inadequacy, a fear of failure, but also I think an, an oftentimes it's just a fear of people. The truth is that we just care more about what people think than about what God thinks. And the reality is, is that we need to ask God to be the one that changes our hearts with that, shifts our perspective. I know fear has often been something that's kept me from living as a good ambassador, and heck, the reality is that sometimes it still does, right? I'm, even as your pastor, I'm not some like giant in the faith, right? I still often let fear and those kinds of things get in the way of living as God's ambassador in my neighborhood or in my relationships, but I think more importantly and more impactfully than even fear, I think what often keeps me and keeps others from living as Christ's ambassadors, why the research shows that over 90% of people who go to church will never have a spiritual conversation with somebody that doesn't know Jesus, is because the message of God's reconciling work for you is not actually good news for your heart. See, here's the reality, church. You talk about the things that you love. When you go see a great movie, you talk about it. When you have a great meal, you talk about it. When you find some new place to go that's fun, you talk about it. You share those things with people. You talk about the things that you love. You do it automatically. I think the reality is that so much of the reason why we never talk about Jesus is because it's not something that we love. You see, what's so important that you see in the midst of our passage this morning 
is the motivations that Paul gives for living as an ambassador. Right? He, he begins the passage not by saying that Christ's command compels him. To the very last words Jesus gave the, the, the disciples, great commission, go therefore make disciples in every nation. The command that he gives them to go and to be ambassadors who live to make disciples, he doesn't say that's what drives him. See, you can't miss this. Paul says it's the love of Christ that compels him. You see, you talk about what you love. And what is so clear is that Paul has been transformed by the love of Jesus. It has transformed him and it is good news to him. And you see, and what's happened is that because the gospel is good news to Paul, he said he longs for it to be good news to others. So reality is that this sermon could just be another list of things that you should be doing with your life that you aren't doing. And that's just religiosity, and that empowers nobody to live as an ambassador for Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, the only way that you speak and live in such a way that the people God sent you to, that, they, that you long that they might know the king, is when his reconciling work for you is good news to you. When you see, like Paul says, that, that he who knew no sin became sin for you, that he received your just penalty for your sin, that in grace that he came to not give you what you deserved, but to receive the penalty for what you deserved and to take it on himself so that you might be given his very righteousness that you might go from being an enemy of God to being his forgiven friend and his beloved child. It's only when that is good news to you that you'll be full, that you'll be compelled to long that others might know the king who has reconciled himself to you. See, and it's Jesus' reconciling work that we're remembering every week when we take communion, reminding ourselves of who he is and all that he's done and reminding ourselves of his broken body and shed blood on the cross for us so that we might be reconciled with God, that our mutinous rebellion might have the penalty that it is due paid so that we might be able for God to be just and also the justifier. And so communion, it doesn't make you right with God and it doesn't save you. It doesn't change your status or your standing with him. Instead, what it is is a chance for you to remember, to remember the good news that you were once an enemy of God, who he, through the person and the work of Jesus, has made of his friend. You see, and so if you're here this morning, and if that is good news to you, if the message of Jesus' reconciling work is where your hope is found, I want to encourage you, go back and take communion. During our time of worship, there's a table on the left and on the right. You can dip the bread and the juice and take one of the packs back to your seats. But it's a chance for you to remember, to celebrate all that Jesus has done for you, that he might fill you again with a love for him that, that, that overflows into a longing that others might know him. But if you're here this morning and you haven't yet trusted Jesus, if you're still figuring out who he is and what it means to follow him, and if this whole idea of being an ambassador for him is something you even want in the first place, then I just want you to know, one, how welcome you are here. I want to encourage you, hold off on taking communion. God's not after a people who are going through religious rituals and going through the motions. He's after a people who respond in love to all he's done for them. So as we close, I just want to encourage you, talk with God. Some of you are here this morning and you need to respond to Jesus for the first time. 
And you realize maybe for the first time that you are his enemy, that your sin has made you an enemy of his, and you need to be reconciled to him. And like Paul pleads with the Corinthians, I would plead with you that you might be reconciled to him. You cannot reconcile yourself, but Jesus can through faith in him. And so some of you need to receive the reconciling work of Jesus, but others of you are here and you just need to begin by confessing your fear. Fear of inadequacy or fear of failure or fear of people and you need to ask God to replace the fear that you have in you with a boldness and a confidence that comes from knowing him and from knowing who he says you are in him. Some of you are here and you just need to start authentically pursuing relationships with people that don't know Jesus yet. You just need to start pursuing it intentionally, deliberately. As a pastor, one of, that's one of the reasons I often work not in my home or not here at the church, but I often work in coffee shops. There's lots of relationships I've built through those lenses. I don't know if you know it or not. Uh, I, I, Aaron's my only coworker, and he's actually already a Christian, right? Which is great, you know? Um, <laughs> But that's not really a field for me, an opportunity. And so, so my neighborhood and the relationships I have out in the city, those are opportunities that I have to choose to be deliberate and intentional about. Maybe some of you are in that spot. And I just want to encourage you, start pursuing relationships with people that don't know Jesus yet. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Have some people over for a meal or ask people to catch coffee with you. Learn to start asking good questions. Get lunch with your coworkers. Be characterized by one who asks good questions. Don't be a creeper. That's weird, right? <laughs> but ask questions that genuinely seek to know where people are at. People like to talk about themselves. Ask what matters to people. Ask the things that are priorities. Just get to know people that don't know Jesus and pray that God might give you eyes to see and ears to hear and that he might give you wisdom to know how the gospel might be good news to your friends. Some of you as well, you need to start learning how to talk about Jesus. And if you're interested in doing that, I'd encourage you, ask your small group leader or reach out to me. I'd love to be able to equip you with some, of, some resources that might help you to do that as well. But I think for all of us, we need to keep asking God ongoingly that he might cause the good news of his reconciling work in the person and the work of Jesus to be good news to you. Because the reality is it's only when his love for you is compelling that you'll long for others to know his love for them as well. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you uh, were God sent on mission to us, that you were the ambassador for God the Father and that we might know him, that we might know God through you, Jesus. And we're so grateful for that. And we're thankful that you have reconciled us to yourself. And we humbly ask God that you might graciously empower us to live as your ambassadors a people who know and love you, who know and love the people you sent us to and who live and, and speak in such a way that the people that you've sent us to might know you as the king. God, none of that is stuff we can do on our own. None of it's stuff we could be motivated by guilt and duty and shame and obligation to ever pursue. And so God, cause the gospel to be good news for us so that we might long that others might see it as good news as well. We pray, amen.